Hey everyone, just wanted to take a few minutes before we begin the episode to say we did a a segment this week kind of remembering a bunch of people in the entertainment industry, a bunch of major figures who died around the holidays, Um, and as fate would have it, uh, the morning after we recorded, we lost another giant figure, um, Sidney Poitier, the first black man to ever win Best Actor, and not just a you know, trailblazer, but uh, one of the great actors of his generation. So just want to take a few minutes before we began the episode to just just kind of shout him out because it's it's an incredible career and uh, would encourage all the listeners out there to go watch some of his movies, whether it's Raisin in the Sun, uh, In the Heat of the Night, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, just last night, I watched No Way Out, which is this like incredible noir uh, on the Criterion channel at the moment. So um, just RIP to Sidney Poitier. No, he was very old, but um, that's a pretty major figure in, in movie history. So, and now to the rest of the episode. Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. And a year ago, I I assembled a collection of three of my earliest guests on this show to give a window into what the year 2021 was going to be. And now I've, I've reunited them again. So welcome to Jordan Snyder, Hunter Heilman, and Josh Martin. I, how, how, I will only accept being referred to as the 355. Thank you very much. Uh, it's It's been a, quite a year, guys. I mean, every, everything's changed. I mean, COVID, that's that's definitely totally taken care of. No way that's going to happen. <laughs> um, so you brought uh, back I, the one shining good thing that you had in this world, which was this trio right here. Yes. Uh, actually, before we get into our conversation about the year, I, I do want to stop us for a serious note and uh you know we had some some deaths recently um since yeah. i did uh some of the the record ahead of time episodes for the thanksgiving holiday and you know we lost jean-marc belay a director i know is really important to you hunter i know and bitch i fucking still am not over that that lost... honestly hit me that hit me harder than betty white honestly and yeah i, I mean we love... lost <laughs> betty white the great Girls. betty white and uh Today that we're recording, we lost Peter Bogdanovich, just uh, one of the the legends of the new Hollywood. So um, yeah. just let's pour our forties out for them. No one can really see that, but you know, go go watch some Peter Bogdanovich movies. After we finish talking about all the new all the new movies, go watch What's Up Doc and Targets and The Last Picture Show. And did he ben do anything White, I... in the MCU? <laughs> yeah, what's what do you think well, Peter Bogdanovich's thoughts are on? He did make a cameo in It Chapter Two, so he was not uh, not not Peter franchise averse. Peter Parker. <laughs> I I first want to start us off by you know what what did you guys think about this year in movies? I think when we last all convened, we had maybe like a little bit of optimism of just we were going to get more stuff. What how how did it how did it shake up? How, how did how does this year for cinema? Anyone can chime in. 
That's a weird objective question because I also think we really have to take into account how much of a fucking bitch I've become in the past year. And like <laughs> with that, I've found myself I think a little bit less receptive to a lot of movies in general in terms of like I'm not it's I feel like before it was like most of the time if I even slightly enjoyed myself I'd I'd give something a decent score but nowadays I just don't kind of give a fuck about that so there's part of me that sometimes feels like 2021 was a little underwhelming but on the other hand I think I'm just like a bit more discerning with what I like and dislike now I actually think in terms of quality the big stuff I think generally kind of sucked but also uh I am in the minority of a lot of things of of that nature as well um you didn't enjoy yeah. Ghostbusters Afterlife? I didn't see. Oh, I, well, I saw the third act of Ghostbusters. <laughs> or I didn't see the third act. I saw the last five minutes of Ghostbusters Afterlife because we watched a pirated copy of it at work because one of my friends was like, you're not going to fucking believe this shit. Um, that was no. physically painful to sit through. Um, but, Sony, Sony's yeah. been struggling a little bit in the live action. Actually, I say that, but I actually really liked the new Resident Evil movie, so I can't really be talking about that. That's not like got Uncharted Venom. in the bag, so... Venom I'll... Let There Be Carnage was the best superhero movie of the year, so at least... I, I, I haven't seen... I will say, big one, I haven't been to the theater in the last month, so I haven't seen Spider-Man, I haven't yeah, seen West Side Story. Same. Those are my big two gaps... I, I just would haven't... be as naive and pure as you are. I wish I could go back to that time. Actually, I haven't seen West Side Story either, but um, that was Spider-Man. Big... Yeah, Spider-Man took about I'd say three and a half years off my life. But again, <laughs> don't come to me for that. I'm not here to trash shit. So, Jordan, Josh, how 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 about you? Did, did was this a good year for movies? I mean, I've just been so exhausted that it's been one of the like worst movie watching years for me personally just because i mean i only went to the theater twice i think for um dune and then no time to die so i mean two good movies to see if i'm going to see anything in the theaters um and so yeah seeing dune in the theater was like really the only way that i probably would have wanted to see it for the first time because the sound was just so immersive and just kind of painful almost that it it really help sell the world even more than just the visuals alone which are already spectacular so but other than those i was just sort of resigned to watch things from my couch and i'm a little concerned that i might feel the same way going forward um like before the pandemic i was seeing at least like two movies a week in the theater and so it's just been a very quick 180 for me so i hope that the state of the country will maybe allow that to be different for me. Yeah. I think I fall somewhere along the lines of both of those, like both what Hunter and Jordan said there in that in terms of what Hunter said, where I feel like I certainly, after a year in, you know, relative quarantine, we're in 2020, basically post March, any new movies I watched, I watched from my couch and I really didn't watch many of them. Um, and I feel like my my sort of taste changed a lot in that year so that I could be much more dismissive of newer films or even just more content to just go, oh, that was fine, you know, three out of five, whatever. But I didn't feel obligated to really love all that much. I, I personally felt it was a pretty 
weak year for mainstream blockbuster cinema. Um, I'm much more lukewarm on Dune than most. Same. I know Hunter and I are, are, are in the same boat <laughs> This is there. the first time I'm not outnumbered. It's, it's, oh, it's two on it. two. Okay. All right. So I know, yeah, I mean, um, if our friend Johnny Sobchak was here, we would be uh, certainly outnumbered. I hear a car but... pulling up outside my apartment. It's probably... <laughs> Johnny's here to talk Dune. Um, the one that I liked the most was uh, was Matrix Resurrections, followed by No Time to Die, which is more based on a sort of affinity uh, for the Craig run than it is uh, a genuine belief that No Time to Die is any kind of great film it's really not and like i said before my favorite of the superhero movies i've seen this year uh is the 80 minute before credits venom let there be carnage so um you know i think that tells you if anything where my sort of uh interests are at at this point um i thought it was a great year for the art house um i'm looking at films that dropped it uh at the Cannes film festival in july um or at berlin in the spring um and a lot of those are some of my favorites of the year um and that may if anything reflect more my sort of shifting taste than anything else and just uh, interest in in that sort of um work but in that regard i think there were uh, a lot of great films this year uh was it 2019 level no are we still kind of uh in this sort of weird i don't know who saw you know the latest wave of of shit coming uh and you know it's looking like the first few months of this year are going to be a sort of uh barren wasteland especially with sundance now online berlin apparently maybe going hybrid to the release calendar emptying uh morpheus we're gonna look back at you know 2020 to probably 2022 and just be like it's kind of hard to evaluate any of them as sort of cohesive uh years in cinema in and of themselves but um there were certainly some worthy discoveries this year that um i was very excited about even within a sort of you know, marbleized landscape. Yeah. Big year for movies that um, the general public is not allowed to see yet. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah kind, of, kind of a weird asterisk with a lot of the like cool art house stuff that like is going to be now getting released into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the land of the Omicron. Fucking, fucking maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Like 20 bucks says like, I don't know. Because I mean, MG, or it was universal because that's the, that's the, international distributor but universal just pulled cyrano from the uk release yeah they just pull, uh i wouldn't be surprised to see like neon put worst person in the world on vod eventually yeah i would i would say that's a smart decision they haven't even communicated anything about what they're doing with memoria after they made their big pronouncement of it's our endless rollout run and it'll never be seen anywhere but a theater and now people are trying to find it and it's yeah. like it it pops up in random places and they go, oh, are we getting that this week? Not that Memoria is going to, you know, break the bank at the box office, but, you know, right. it, it does have an audience <laughs> out there somewhere. And particularly, I think, with everything kind of going the way they're going now, like, I don't know, theatrical exclusive films, at least right now, feel a little off like that. I feel like yeah. there's nothing here. I feel like there's no reason why the 355 shouldn't be going to Peacock and Scream shouldn't be going to Paramount Plus. Like, they started these fucking streaming services for a reason. Why not use them? But that's a whole different story. 355? Has anyone seen that yet? Is anyone reviewing that? No, is that a real movie? I've heard the same thing. That's why I was curious. No, I haven't seen it. I mean, mean, if that, if, if, if anything, I mean, like, 
I just did I call it Morpheus? The Morbius? What's the Jared Leto vampire movie? Mor- you call it? Mor- did you call it Morpheus? I, I called it Mor- that, that that shows you how little anyone gives a shit about that movie. Is like I can't even remember what it's called. Is that a Matrix spoiler? Uh, no comment. <laughs> just kidding. It's me, your friend Michael Morbius. How you playing this? But I think kind of the to 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 piggyback off you guys. I mean, this was really a year for me that like because I was sort of trapped inside my own bubble at home for like a year and a half. The the experience I wanted something to like get a reaction out of me. So I like identify with you guys saying like returning to the theater and you know I I've mentioned so many times like when Hunter and I walked out of Dune. Hunter's first comment was like, that's at least that's at least a $200 million movie or however much it costs that looks like how much it costs. And I yeah. will say the same thing for like Matrix and the Bond movie, which are probably the only two other blockbusters that like I had. Did it look like at. abject shit this year? Right. It was sort of like, if I'm going to see a blockbuster, like show me a big stylish blockbuster. And even with some of the smaller like art house stuff, be like get, give me a reaction make me laugh make me vomit make me cry you know i i was craving some sort of like visceral thrill out of going to the movies and anything that was kind of just the like toned down version of that i was just sort of like shrugged and was like why 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 bother anymore yeah i think Which is maybe like nihilistic movie. i don't want 80, movies to go away 80 <laughs> percent of my top 10 i think i cried during so i <laughs> think i'm with you i just wanted to feel something that's all I was looking for. Y'all were able to still do that? That's crazy. <laughs> I am not a big crier at the movies, but I, I do I do sympathize I with the sort of emotional... My family dies. <laughs> with the emotional response. I think also it's like I my like interests have sort of centralized around like... Like I think similar to what Jesse's saying about these sort of very sort of singular experiences or just like real movie movies... Um, you know, I certainly have, have sort of centralized around filmmakers with extremely distinctive visions, whatever that may be. Um, I know auteurism is like 60 years ago at this point, but like I, most of my top 10 is going to be filmmakers that I've either feel like I've discovered this year and go, oh, I'm really interested to see what um, uh, what this person is doing going forward or filmmakers who I'm already sort of invested in and going, oh, OK, they, you know, really brought a sort of distinctive work. Um, and that didn't always pan out. I mean, there were filmmakers who I love who made films this year that I was like, eh. I mean, I was never really that excited for Dune, but I was, you know, I like most of Denis Villeneuve's films to date, and this was the one that made me go, eh, okay. Wait, whether Edgar, you Edgar like it or Wright, not, it is know. it is a Denis Villeneuve movie it is, through and through, it which is, is more than no I doubt. could say for, like, Black Widow or... You know. Yeah, I mean the the Marvel stuff is it, it is what it is at this point. Do y'all know it's who directed Black Widow? Just Kate off the top Shortland. of your... Okay, Kate okay, Shortland. I was about to say <laughs> that was like I was just like let me just see if anyone remembers. Yeah, no, I mean at least say what you will about Eternals. It had something there it at least was at for least me. More at, interesting at least... than the other Marvel movies this year. Uh, that's and you know that's like the the lowest of like low compliments, but. It, it is the most I'm sort not of... Gonna, I am not going to let y'all sit here and slander the only good Marvel movie that's come around in a long time, Shang-Chi. I like Shang-Chi. I like Shang-Chi well Until enough. Until they go to yeah. Narnia. Yeah, yeah I'm in the cool. same boat. No, no, because <laughs> Michelle Yeoh shows up in Narnia. Tony Leung is I'm the reason ex- to see yes, that movie, Tony if Long. anything. 
yeah, look, his, we'll, his, we'll have the Michelle Yeoh conversation. Just... <laughs> we'll have the Michelle Yeoh conversation when she's in. What's what's the the Daniels movie that she's going to be in? Oh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Which yes. reminds me of the Bo Burnham song, but it's <laughs> yes. not what that is. Might, um, might be talking about that later. Maybe. Um, were, were there any kind of like big industry trends that you guys sort of picked up on this year? I mean, a couple that I had written down. I mean, just thinking about laziness, at, fan service, um, <laughs> Mar- Mar- Marvel sucking the soul of the universe, uh, yes. Dementor style until I, we all I, I was more thinking um, like, you know, directing ho- Hollywood um, wanted to die. <laughs> I was more just thinking, like, you know, Hollywood was so aggressive for us to, like, return to, like, it's going to be big communal experiences. And aside from the Marvel stuff, which seems to be the only stuff that people went and saw, like, it was kind of humorous, maybe a little bit sad, but nonetheless odd to see the um, swing and miss of, like, we're going to bring back the big, you know, musicals or the new It thing. I was just thinking that because I'm looking at my letterbox list and there was no movie experience this year that rivaled uh, Dear Evan Hansen. That was... um, Oh, that's right. You saw that in theaters. I pirated that shit. Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) It's okay. I don't think the government's listening. (laughs) If this was was a... I don't know. I saw that as part of my my job, so I, I won't say much more about, I don't know, the specifics of that, but like... People were cackling throughout, and I've never experienced anything quite like that in, uh, I don't I, I don't know, for anyone who hasn't seen, like, the big ending song, when he makes his confession, and then starts breaking out into song, the theater erupted, and that was not supposed to be funny. <laughs> um, I've never seen anything like it. It was incredible. I See, was, everyone's I was like... Love. You shouldn't put down other movies. You shouldn't have worse no, movies well, of sometimes. the year. And then I'm like, wait, but I did see Dear Evan <laughs> Dear Hansen, Hansen this year. was made for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean, like that. That that movie probably deserved to get tossed to the side. But you, you know, it's even thinking about like, do you guys remember when um the like lead up to uh in the heights and people were like, oh, this huge. is this is like going to be a huge hit. It's it's in perfect time in the summer this is going to be the big communal experience to get people back in the theaters and people were just like i'm sorry where is the heights do i want to be in there I, and the heights are I, on hbo max <laughs> yes. exactly i've also i've never seen like a movie get turned on quicker like by its audience than that one in terms of like how much that came to be like a sort of liberal sort of push of like, we need to see in the Heights in the theaters. It's sort of this big multicultural smash. And then by Monday, it was like super problematic of like, I have never seen anything turn that quickly of like, and I think a lot of it was associated with box office. If that had been a hit, that conversation ends up being, but then it becomes the sort of problematic bomb. And also ended that ended up intertwined with, we were talking about before we started recording our, or were we on at the, I don't know, Lin-Manuel Miranda and our sort of the way of which the internet has turned against him as well. Um, And, and yet his fascinating, totally fascinating. Yeah. And yet his adaptation of tick, tick, boom is the one movie musical that I feel like I, I I, will, I, that I know actual like non film nerd people like like everyday people walking down the street that i work with and that are like in my family that 
turned that on and watched it because it was on Netflix and no one cared about In the Heights, it seemed. Probably good that no one really cared about Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. No one seems well, to have they cared really about cared. reasons. Right. Or no one seems to have really, like, cared that much about uh, the West Side Story remake. Annette, mm, maybe a bit weird for normal audiences. That's not, yeah. that doesn't really even, count, yeah. but movie musical nonetheless. I, I mean, it's, it, it is just interesting that, you know, you bring up Lin-Manuel Miranda and being like, and yet he wound up, like, making the one movie musical this year that, like, actually it seems like a bunch of people watch and it was the one that's like hey this is just on your netflix account and you can watch it on a thursday if you want to and then and he also did the music to every kid's movie this year yeah oh, despite right. him being the butt of like every internet joke it's like his career is not slowing down in any oh way. Yeah. yeah and that's the kind of interesting thing about like the fact that so I saw Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, I Some of the songs have stuck in my head, but I'm not a, a big fan of the movie as a whole. But um, it is the fascinating, if we want to talk about sort of industry trends of the year. So obviously Warner Brothers and HBO Max did their, it was a failed experiment in releasing things concurrently. It was great for me. I didn't have to go to the theater to see any of that shit. It was wonderful. Um, but I don't in terms think I watched of, a single thing on HBO Max this year. I think I either saw oh, really? it in the theater or I just didn't watch it. Well, Which is and fair. It's, it's, I, it's yeah. weird you even bringing that up, Josh, because I feel like it th- haven't there. There been those reports that them basically saying like it kind of correlates with the movie's box office as well. So like, yeah. Dune did pretty well at the box office, and they seem to have said like a lot of people watched that on HBO Max. Same with yeah. the the Godzilla movie. I think they mentioned. Mortal Kombat, like a lot of Mortal Kombat yeah. had the most views of any of them, which is they were strange because like, it's of the worst. Watched that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, and yet and yet stuff I like, like you know they Space were Jam this year. Yes, yeah. Space Jam, Jam was this year. I mean yeah. it's it's weird and then the stuff Tom and that Jerry. like oh right there what was, was a Tom that and one? Jerry movie. What was that one at the beginning of the year? The there little things which that. I never did watch. Yeah, yeah which yeah. I know a lot of people who watched. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but I mean, other stuff like in the Heights or King Richard, it seems like they've they've kind of subtly indicated like, hey, no one went and saw these in the theater, and no one's watching this on HBO Max either. And so, but that's my my interesting point is that Netflix. Well, geez, that sounds really the the interesting. <laughs> my interesting point. Uh, the interesting thing to me about that is that like Netflix can just say oh, Tick, Tick, Boom did great, and we did fine, because they never release it or in any theaters. 50 million people watch exactly. uh, Don't Look don't, Up. Exactly. Don't Look Which Up and Red Notice are the most watched movies in the history of cinema. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas In the Heights, you know, however well that might have done on HBO Max, the box office numbers, people set that movie up for failure, unfortunately. Like, I don't think the box office for that was that bad, and I actually... Like, I, I wouldn't say I'll defend that movie. It's To me, it's a kind of quintessential sugar rush where it starts out really sort of, oh, this is everything I want from a big screen musical. And then 27 musical numbers later, I feel like I'd been beaten into submission by it. And I'm just like, all right, I've had enough, no more. But I have a sort of aversion to stage to screen adaptations and I'm not the right person to ask. So Oh, biggest, biggest trend of the year. Um, I know it's I know it's tough to I, I know it's wrong. I'm sorry, these movies were too fucking long this year. I know everyone's <laughs> oh, like, gosh, yeah. Everyone's like, a movie shouldn't be too long, or like, can't be too long. I'm like, yes, it can. Yes, it can. But a movie can also be long and good. There's a difference. There's a difference between a Nightmare Alley and a Drive My Car. It's precisely, absolutely. Yes. I mean, Nightmare Alley, I mean, it's become like a, 
a sort of cliche for people to go like there's a weird equation on the internet of uh long movie means editor did not do their job which is a stupid one because it's really you know it's like oh this movie's badly edited and it's like well you know uh but i ended up kind of having to resort to that in that i really did feel like i had watched a rough cut with nightmare alley i felt like there was like they had just assembled what they had and went okay let's go uh because that was just needlessly baggy um and to a severely detrimental extent. Same for a movie that I liked a little bit more, No Time to Die. Um, great film. Why is that 245? I mean, there is uh, a sort of way in which that is stretching the limits of what it a Bond movie should. 25 minutes to the opening credits in that movie. It's at least in drive my At least in Drive My Car, that's a stylistic choice. It's a, There's a point, exactly. <laughs> or yeah. like, in, you know, or like something like those along, well, not this year, but like Climax, like ha- more than halfway yeah. through the movie, like the opening credits start. But like that, I was like, listen, the one thing I've held on to since 2020 is that fucking Billie Eilish song. And if you don't let me see this opening credit sequence, I'm going to scream because that's the only thing that I mean, it's not the only thing I go to Bond movies for, but it's the thing I'd speculate the most about. Yeah, I was not having it. But also like I bring that up because In the Heights was too fucking long. And I was just like, when is this ending? And I like. I was so into it at first, and then by the time it ended, I was like, all right. I'm, I'm in the here. exact same boat in that, like, I think, like, <laughs> that movie starts off on a really strong note. Regardless of what, and I think certainly based on everything, like, the conversation that eventually merged around that film ended up having significant merit. And I think in some ways, like, the fact that the the sort of everyone on the creative team responded super defensively to it just kind of proved what. I, I kind of blocked that whole like mini controversy out of my my memory because I think the film kind of faded from the conversation as well. But that was a sort of interesting case earlier this summer. But yeah, I mean, too long and just too many musical numbers and too much um, of everything. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking through so many of the films this year. I mean, one 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 thing that I've been kind of like having anxiety over this year is like. The the fear that I'm pretty sure the mid budget movie is is going to go away, or or if it exists, it's only going to exist on a streamer like Netflix. And I mean, like I'm take out like your auteur projects, take out your blockbusters, yeah. just something like you know uh, we've talked about a lot about on the show about something like The Last Duel. I mean, the other Ridley Scott movie, House of Gucci, it seems was like the only adult drama that made money this year. But I mean, some some other stuff that just like bring out that like theoretically like 10 years ago this would have been a hit like the little things like that that would have been a hit a movie i know hunter cares deeply about barb and star go to vista del mar like it's our our studio comedy is dead i mean this is just kind of the like the kind of stuff that i i there's a whole kind of mid-tier of movie that's just like i went on a friday because theatrical release yeah, but right. it was still pre-vaccine, right? Or at least very early yeah. in the rollout. Yeah, it was, and it was that weird, like by that point in the pandemic, the nineteen ninety nine, like directly from the distributor, like VOD streaming was a little antiquated at that point. I felt like of like no one wants to pay twenty dollars to see one fucking movie. Just put it on Hulu, goddamn it! Like no one cares. Um, which it is on Hulu now, but yeah, that was one where I was like, I why release this in february why release this like i don't know i just 
I have a lot of feelings about the release the, of that movie. The model of the VOD stuff is really fascinating in that, like, they've made this big revolutionary jump into, okay, after two or three weeks, or even in, in the case of Barb and Star, like, instantly, okay, we'll put it on there for 20 bucks and you can rent it and whatever. And then, like, I remember, like, around, gosh, maybe it was no, like, late November, and people were like, the card counter is still $20 to rent on iTunes and that movie's been out of theaters for like two months. So like, there's still some growing pains in that, like chop the price down a little over time. We don't need to keep like doing this. Um, yeah, I sympathize with the sort of, even, even though like, you know, a lot of the last duel still costs like a hundred million dollars. Yeah. I, like, when you yes. said mid budget, I was like, is it, is it really? I guess I'm just thinking anything like, that's not like a, a franchise blockbuster yeah. and it's just like, here, here's a movie just like for adults that has movie stars in it. And is, yeah. it, you know, I guess Last Duel has some Oscar aspirations, but you know, like something like Barb and Star and The Little Things, which like, I think The Little Things is really bad. But, you know, those being two movies that come to mind of just sort of like, here's just sort of movie star vehicles. Here's here programmers. Yeah. Here's a a, com- a raunchy comedy. Here's a serial killer crime drama. Well, that's I, the crisis yeah. of the adult moviegoer. I mean, I think Hunter, you still work at a theater, so you may have more. To and I work at a motherfucking about... old person theater too. <laughs> I work at a geriatric theater. You want to talk like. Exactly. I mean, former Ballantine Village employee, which, as Jordan knows, is, you know, the uh, and Hunter, <laughs> as well, probably, you know, the the former, you know, sort of uh, elderly, Lincoln. elderly capital of the. Jesse oh, yeah, that's right. I, forgot, I, yes. <laughs> I don't think Jesse and I knew. Well, yeah, I don't know if we like knew each other when you were at. Those movie Charlotte, were my brother. So. We, we definitely it, didn't. But you probably yeah. like served me popcorn once or something like that. I probably did. That's that's kind of funny to think about. I mean, but yeah, I mean super sort of elderly audience and they're not going to the theaters at this point at least no. in large enough numbers to sort of sustain things you know uh beyond that i mean even like the wes anderson film which i guess was the one sort of art house hit of the year that seemed did well to sort of theater seemed to sort of have a still sort of steep downturn compared to uh something like the grand budapest hotel which uh, was before my time at valentine village but from what i understand was a sort of monumental rolling hit over time but i mean and the pandemic really accelerated things that were already sort of in movement when i worked at valentine village i started there at 2016 uh la la land through the roof incredible i mean just numbers the next year it was like shape of water all right where our like receipts are down a little bit but we're still doing a ton of people by like 2018 it was like eh, okay by 2019 they were giving us star wars because we couldn't fill auditoriums with art house movies um i don't know if and, i'm allowed to yeah. talk about this we ran um our average attendance last month for a movie was nine people per screening which yeah i mean that's unsustainable and we showed we like ended up showing the fucking matrix because like yeah and no one came we're showing yeah. scream yeah that because was we're a... just desperate at this point because no one's coming to the movies king richard bomb spencer yep. bomb um yep. What was it? Nightmare Alley. Bomb. Uh, I don't... Licorice Pizza did okay. But, like, the only one that did well this season was French Dispatch, and even then, it wasn't with our bread and butter. It wasn't with old people. It was with Duke students. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of... It's, you know, and that was something that... It was a very substantial change at Valentine Village when I was working there, was at some point, Disney had the clout to say, 
okay, you're owned by a conglomerate. It doesn't matter that you typically play art house stuff. We're going to give you Avengers and Lion King and Star Wars, and you're going to like it because we want those screens and we need that stuff. And so, you know, it's half market forces. It, one, I'll say a little bit, and people haven't necessarily said this as much, but I think in some cases it's that the movies aren't as good. Like just Nightmare Alley, eh. You know, I mean, I know there's like, a lot of people love Spencer. I wasn't as fond of it. King Richard is solid, but it's also on streaming. Um, and I think when you give people, when you give adult moviegoers who are probably at higher risk uh, in this current moment, the option, they're not going to go. And I think that's um, a sort of frightening trend. And I think one that, uh, you know, doesn't, the massive success of Spider-Man does not bode well for the fact that like, cause for a while we were able to just go, well, people just aren't going to the movies. Now we know, Oh they they will go. It's just gotta be, you know, an event, an event. It's gotta be, you know, Spider-Man. It's gotta be, uh, you know, whatever else movie. I mean, what else did well this year? I mean, Venom did it. Yeah. Venom was the second biggest, I think, uh, you know, Marvel, Marvel movie of the year. And then Shang Chi and Black Widow and Fast all the and other. Fast Furious this year. Fast yeah. and Furious was this yeah, year. That that did money. That well, bad. let's maybe uh go from the 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 nihilism over the box office to getting yeah. getting some favorite things from you guys this year. I first want to talk about favorite scenes because you know we like to talk about big picture on here, but I think this is a great opportunity of like it could even be in a movie that you're kind of lukewarm on, but just one scene that really either like made the movie for you or you maybe didn't like the whole movie as like a a cohesive piece of work but has like one incredible sequence in it jordan how about you you haven't you haven't we haven't heard your lovely voice socratic method let's do it (laughs) yeah so i think i don't know if this is a cheat but i'm gonna do it anyway um my favorite you can't pick the entirety of the matrix jordan that is cheating (laughs) is the song um, welcome to the internet from inside. Yeah. Um, and that's not even like my favorite song from the special or one that I listen to that often at all, but it was just like the one that I feel like encapsulated how I was feeling the most of that year. Um, I think that's special. I would say the same thing just perfectly encapsulates the year that I had. So, um, and a specific line in that song where apathy is a tragedy and, and, boredom is a crime and it's just how it feels constantly to wake up and have information blasted into my eyeballs like a fire hose from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed and so I think just the the message of that song um a little bit of everything all the time he says just really really resonated especially in 2021 so <laughs> that was my favorite scene was feeling really depressed about the state of the world. Yeah, probably the movie that best taps into the, the experience of the last. Yeah. Still, still taps into our, our current moment. Take the, that Adam. Okay. <laughs> the, the Burnham special is, is incredible. It, it also did make me feel profoundly depressed. So I'm, I'm with you there, Jordan. And uh, I haven't really known what to do with that. It's like, it's technically a movie. It doesn't really feel like it. It's like a sort of, one man show entertainment piece. So I have it on my, my letterbox list. If I published a list anywhere, I don't know what I would do with it, but uh, it's an incredible movie and moment and experience. I know some people find Burnham's sort of shtick kind of insufferable at this point. I am not one of those people and I will own it. Uh, I think 
that is a sort of brilliant continuation of everything he's done to date, coupled with, like you said, the uh, profoundly depressing experience of living on the internet in 2021 in the middle of a pandemic. So I think it's a, an excellent choice. I, I echo it in many ways. I gave my best friend a vinyl copy of Inside for Christmas, and the first thing they said to me was, oh my god, why would you do this? I got that for my brother for Christmas. <laughs> well, I yeah. the same thing. They were like, um, I don't really want to return. Like, I, it's it's my number one stuff on Spotify, but oh god, here we go again. Yeah, that was my number one album on it was, Spotify. It was high on Spotify for yeah. me, too. <laughs> Hunter, what was what was a scene or sequence that really stood out for you this year? Um, all four hours of Zack Snyder's Justice League, Joe. Um, <laughs> um, I would say it comes down to a few, but I think the number one, like the absolute number one. I love the whole fucking movie, but Edgar's prayer from Barb and Star, man, that is just next level. <laughs> to me, I don't see how anyone can look at Belfast and be like, yeah, give Jamie Dornan the Oscar for that. No, it's that. It's a it I don't know if I have laughed harder in a in a long time than some of the fucking lines in that song of like now I'm going up a palm tree like a cat up a palm tree who decided to go up a palm tree. Are you kidding me? I don't know. It was just it's so fucking funny and it's just I love the way that movie's directed and there was just so much more effort into that than I think Lionsgate was willing to give it credit for. Um and it was just kind of genius. Um from there, I would probably say the scene in The Power of the Dog between Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith-McBee with the cigarette is one of my favorites because it feels like porn to me. <laughs> I was just like, this is like X-rated, and even though they're just talking to each other. Like, this is heavy. So not and- the hula hooping. No. <laughs> I, I, do, I do think one of the most, like, outward like i don't i don't really like gasp when i watch things but i had like an outward gasp at the the just when power of the dog ends and you realize that the western that you think you've been watching was actually an erotic thriller the entire time is is just like (laughs) chef's kiss Um, and there's and then the final one i would say is just the entire restaurant scene in pig oh uh uh-huh yeah those are my like three and they're all from movies I liked, like really liked, but um, you know, I don't know if I could pick something out of like Spider-Man or House of Gucci or anything like that, really. Josh, how about yeah. you? Um, I'm going to go on the more, I don't know if there was one scene that sort of stood out to me, but I guess just like ones that made a significant um, impression I don't have one in mind from Power of the Dog, but I did um, when Hunter was discussing that there. Just I don't know. There's a a certain like tactile sensuality to that movie and its sort of focus on textures and stuff like that, and the close-ups on objects or move. It's kind of incredible. I didn't love that as much as everyone else did that film overall, um, but it has some really remarkable sequences. Um, just to just sort of list some off, uh, the opening scene of Annette. Um, with uh, So May We Start uh, and the sort of strange little montage of sounds and images that uh, kick, that kicks off that movie. Um, the entire Bradley Cooper sequence in Licorice Pizza um, in a movie that I find pretty hilarious throughout, that one just kind of blows the roof off it. Um, uh, there's a scene in the back of a car, a conversation between a man uh, and his late wife's... Uh, 
uh, like sort of lover in Drive My Car uh, that knocked me out. Uh, it, so much of that movie, though, it, it's sort of hard to sort of, uh, I'm sure we'll get to that on the top 10 list. Um, I'm looking at, uh, thinking of more. Uh, the, the, the scene in the cave with Abby Lee in Old uh, was uh. like the, the, the sort of visceral <laughs> shock of the year for Why me in terms of like... that movie so much? It's good! It's it's fun. It's everyone, fun. everyone shits on it, and I'm just like, I watched it for a second time the other night, and I was like, this might be one of Shyamalan's best like in it general. Is, it, it, those it. people people who don't like this are losers. They they like... the same people they are the same people who dislike the Matrix. I know it. I just I feel if, that Venn diagram. If old didn't shit the bed so hard on the ending, I think that people would have been yeah. I think people would have been so much more like I don't know. I love the sort of and someone was tweeting about this the other day and I, I love the sort of the fact that Shyamalan makes himself the sort of surveyor slash torturer of the island. I mean, there's so much just like galaxy brain autourism going on in that movie that it's just a it's a delightful. And it, I mean, that Abby Lee scene. And if you haven't so, seen the movie, it's it's so, so gnarly and so vicious. And that movie gets away with it in a PG-13. It's yeah. pretty remarkable. Like um, that and like Spencer's rated R because they, she says like, fuck, and I'm going to masturbate like once. There, there's some tech off-screen kid banging in, in that movie. Yes. 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 <laughs> it's he- there's a like, 12 year old gives birth to a child that it spoiler alert immediately dies and decomposes in her arms. One PG-13. of the like funniest Fine. just line deliveries in any movie i saw this year is when it's 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 alex wolf who plays yeah. like the the yeah, yeah. the the groaned up version of the the boy child and just like <laughs> looks at his father and is like i thought i needed to do it like 10 times at least before she got pregnant and <laughs> his father just like looks at him with this just like dead reaction is like no what are you talking about it just takes once it's only one time that can happen yeah, uh, that was the one thing with that movie. I do wish uh, I read the graphic novel, and the graphic novel straight up is like everything minus the twist ending, and mm. it's just about a beach that makes you old and everyone fucking dies, and that's it. And I kind of wish it had done that, but I yeah. just, I, I'll I, still I it's not for how it's much, not my like, top ten, but how funny it's those close, parts were, yeah. yeah, and how grotesque some of the other parts were. Like, it was there, sad. Yes, there is a a part where that is actually really really sweet. And that it is, is yeah. one, one of the movies I did tear up or during mm-hmm. is at that part. Um, but, it's just yeah, what you, what we all know comes with aging and, and yeah. relationships um, comes to its ultimate conclusion. Uh, and it's rendered in a way that's very, very sweet and elegant for the, the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I just love the... the uncanny valley of it all. I just love mm-hmm. it. The scene on the beach at the end, I think, is the where it's sort of night is falling and the the sort of parents yes. are. I think that's what you're. It's very yeah. touching. Um, I, that was my f- like favorite film of the summer, basically, in terms of like in a summer movie season where like every blockbuster movie I thought was like either I was indifferent to or thought was aggressively awful. That was like the one for me where I was like, oh, it's like a, a real like old school summer movie. Um, Old is great. Watch old if people have been too dismissive of it. I don't know if you yeah. like that's, that's going to be like too... the, the ultimate message of this episode. Yes, like we all I mean, agree good, about old. Good, good. It deserves some some revisionism. Um, I mean, two scenes that for me kind of like stood out in the movies they're they're in. Um, I think 
I Jordan, I actually don't know what you think of the Green Knight or whether or not you've seen it. I know Hunter and Josh are not the biggest fans of it, but the it a movie I liked, and then it gets to that sort of like climactic montage flash forward scene, and that is where the movie really comes together for me. And I was like, oh, this is one of my favorites of the year, not just like a pretty cool, like weird, surreal, uh medieval tale and i don't know i just find there there's something so kind of beautiful and haunting and sad and and kind of really disturbing about that sequence and then uh a movie i think hunter you and i talked about coda which i i liked but maybe i'm not as high on as some other people but like dang when she like is sitting on the the bed of that truck and the the father asks Mm. her to to sing for him and he just puts his fingers up to her throat to sort of like feel the vibrations and for like the first time ever um you know fully understands what the power of music uh i don't know that that made me tear up so yeah you know I, shout I out to those i didn't moments. like that movie very much but that's one of the moments that got me as well <laughs> there there haven't been many movies because I've, I've come home for i was in los angeles in grad school i came home to charlotte oh for the wow break. And <laughs> you couldn't see from my USC shirt. Yeah. Um, I haven't had many movies this year because I usually have this sort of treasure trove of screeners that come in for us for NCFCA. And I usually have some that I like to, to share with my family and, and my, we've been watching movies throughout the break and there haven't really been any that like hit in any significant way that people were like, Oh, that was a great one. Well, there, there haven't been many this year, even like French dispatch, like I, I was kind of the only most the other people just kind of like walked out at different points. But Coda was the one where like like that's a good sort of solid crowd pleasing. Watch it with your family over the holidays or whatever movie. Um, it's certainly like I understand like I know a lot of people who really like that movie. I know some folks who are not as fond of it. And I totally understand why it's very by the numbers formulaic. But um it's very sweet too. And I, I think uh, it, it, those moments that Jesse's talking about really do hit uh, in that film uh, the way that they're supposed to. So what about performances? Were there any kind of performances specifically in movies that, you know, either performances that you don't think are going to get recognized at all come award season, like have zero chance whatsoever that you want to shout out or even like kind of piggybacking off of our scene prompt, like, you know, you maybe didn't like the movie, but there's this one person in there who's really just firing on all cylinders. My number one supporting actress performance of the year is Haley Bennett and Cyrano, and literally no one's talking about her. And at this point, I'm just like, all right, whatever. I'll just, me and her can have this special thing together, and none of you guys <laughs> else can fucking care about it. I like, I really did like Cyrano, though, so that's that's more of like you're, people... You're firmly in the Joe, Joe Wright hive. I wouldn't go that far. No, no, no. When Joe Wright is Joe Wright. I lo- you're, like, you're not going to be a woman in the window defender. <laughs> I am a massive Joe Wright stan when he does the period dramas, which is why Cyrano speaks to me very heavily. It's when he does shit like fucking Pan and Woman in the Window. And even like Darkest Hour isn't bad, but it's not Joe Wright. It's not. It's just, it doesn't feel like it. And so this, was, this was the first one since Anna Karenina, which is my favorite, um, that like, I was like, this is, I can't stop crying. We did it, kids. Like, he's finally back. <laughs> but, you know, that was one. I just, I love her in that movie. If we're going off of a movie I didn't really like that had a good performance, it's so, it's such like blatant Oscar bait that I almost don't want to give a shout out to it. However, I did really like jennifer hudson and respect 
The movie itself is boring as fuck. It is, it, like, I wish it was bad, honestly. Like, I wish it was, like, worse than it is or better than it is. It kind of falls squarely in between. However, she's just fucking great. I just love her. But um, I just wish the movie was a little bit less, like, cookie-cutter, like, the family very obviously produced this movie type of shit. Zola, I didn't love the movie. I thought it was kind of... Um, it was, like, well shot, and uh, I thought it was a little tone deaf, but the performances across the board were fantastic. Um, and I, I especially, I, I love Coleman Domingo and, like, everything... <laughs> And he should be in everything, and he was just amazing once again. Yeah, Jordan oh, uh, literally right. read my mind on that. I just want to say, like, I was yeah. that was mine that I was thinking of. Like, <laughs> Zola is a film that I mixed positive on. I was rereading my review because that kind of tells you something right there. I'm like, I'm like, what did I think? I remember at the time I was like, it's a little flimsy was the word that I used. Where it's like, it's got a lot that, that I like. Like you said, it's very um, uh, well shot and very sort of inventively framed. Um, the performances really carry that though. And like you said, especially Coleman Domingo um, is remarkable in that. And uh, it's a film that with a lot of sort of interesting stuff happening, even if it doesn't co- sort of cohere as much overall, but uh, it's one of the, certainly one of the best acted films of the year. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, and I guess if I want to throw out some like really, maybe not obscure, but like ones that people didn't really talk about that much at all. Um, I didn't love the movie because it definitely became like, borderline like indian soap opera level of too much in the end but leia Sedu in france is really mm, good yep um but the movie itself gets really messy and then also yeah. same thing um it it's a very it was a magnolia pictures release it was real small um and there was another movie literally with the same name of it this year but udo kier in swan song which is not the Mahershala Ali swan song it's a completely different one where he plays an aging gay man trying to make it across town to like do his uh his former boss's hair for her funeral is really sweet and it's like the movie itself didn't wow me but him in it like scooting across town and like full borderline drag garb on a fucking like jazzy scooter is hilarious and he's great in it he's that was a movie where i was like i feel like i've seen you in such bad shit over the years and like all of that and you always play the villain that that was one where i was like oh you're just like a sweet old man I've seen you play a lot of Nazis, but right now I like you. I was going through my letterbox, you know, rankings just now, and I don't know the I don't know that I, any of you have seen this movie, but one movie that's near the bottom of my list, but I think has a performance that I think is nonetheless like pretty entertaining is did, did any of you see Mainstream? the no. uh geocopola movie <laughs> i kind of wanted to because i am like firmly in the andrew garfield hive of like i think he's talented and genuinely one of the most attractive people on the face of the earth but also that movie looked a little um it looked it, it felt a little up its own ass in the trailer and i was like i i'll pass actually it's it's kind of trying to be network for the youtube generation but is not oh, full that sounds, is, that sounds bad. is not willing to commit to the like full-blown nihilism of network and sort of tries to kind of like be too sincere at the end and kind of like have i, I don't really think it knows what to think about social media or youtube or influencer culture but Andrew Garfield is really winning in it and is 
so clearly like going for the kind of like over the top cartoonish performance that you just kind of wish the other you kind of wish the whole rest of the movie was up to his energy and uh i mean similar to like i i thought he was really fun in the spider-man movie which i feel more mixed on spoiler every alert day. what the fuck wow. i haven't seen it yet oh man was in it. sorry josh thousands Damn. of tweets on my timeline favorite scene when the spider-mans show up should i okay. go should i go back in and believe that can we, talk, can we talk about that for a second because i haven't talk, seen it either can we talk about how toby mcguire's entrance is literally just like <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I, I, I joke. Should I be here right now? Like, everyone was cheering, and I was like, he literally just wandered on screen in slacks and a t shirt. Like, I joked on the Spider Man episode of this show that, like, Toby, Toby McGuire, they literally, literally was just like, I'm not. No, you get like one day of me with the suit. I'm not. I'm not doing it, guys. Like I'm doing you a favor. That was actual footage of him showing up on set with like a yes, coffee exactly. in his hand, yeah. just like, all right, let's fucking do this. I want to shout out really quickly two more performances, like very small supporting performances in movies that I like but don't love that I thought were great. And these are both like firmly in the supporting camp. Ana de Armas like takes over No Time so, to Die for 10 minutes. Yes! And, like, so and literally everyone good. comes back so and they're good. like, when's she coming back? And she never does. Biggest yeah. missed opportunity of the year. They should have spinoffs with her. She's great. Oh, uh, she's and so then good. also, it's the only time I will like I I will uh, fully go into the like it deserves a spinoff like bullshit. I'm like exactly. Can her and fucking Lashana Lynch just solve crimes? That one funny. that one scene of her and Craig in Cuba is better than. 99% of the other blockbusters that came out this year. Just, just that I, like 15 so minutes fun. or however And just long like, it is. I don't know, and just the way that it ends of like, you were excellent. Oh, thank you. Just like, I don't know, there was just that... And then there's they have a, to go to some Rami actual, Malik like, scene. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't bring me back to this. And snore. And, yeah, and then the other one was, um, and I think other folks like this movie a little bit more than I do. I still like it quite a bit, but Catherine uh, Hunter is the best thing about Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. Yes! Um, and yeah. Uh, that performance is like kind of terrifying and pretty remarkable, uh, even with very limited screen time. And I That's was the performance pretty... I wanted Frances McDormand to give as Lady Macbeth. I Fair. Really agree. I actually Fair don't really, really quite like Frances McDormand in that movie. So She's I don't okay. dislike her. She's just there. Yeah. Yeah. It was big, like, we could have cast someone else, but then she would have changed the locks and, like, not let Joel <laughs> Cohen come home, so. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, guys, um, as we kind of near the end of, of this this reflection, um, in our best Lights Camera Jackson impersonations, let's let's go through each Listen, <laughs> listen, he is a staunch defender of the Matrix Resurrections, and honestly, I'm fucking with him do you, for it. Do you think he'd do a, a, a Matrix Resurrections commentary pod, you, me, and him? I don't know. I want him to do a podcast where he just, um, like rereads jonathan groff's lines i think that would be fun because i think he he can i think he would like absolutely uh commit to the bit i don't think he would know that it was a bit but i think he would his top 10 was about as baffling as anything i've seen this my, year it was my incredible. goal is to get him on this podcast ideally with hunter to but you guys can join too to I'll talk about extra, i'm gonna like i that's the thing he's 
fucking demented, but honestly, at this point, A. Hey, lights, come on, join the fun. For someone who no, doesn't I, know this gentleman. How, I, I, who, I want to get him on to talk they? about deep water once Disney, like, lets that out of the gate. Because I'm pretty sure that once deep water comes out, that's the episode that this podcast is getting just shut down. But like, Film Aquarius is like, stop, it's done. Is that, wait, in America, is that going to Hulu or Prime? Because I know it's one of the, it's Hulu and then it's Prime and, and other countries. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, who wants to go first? <laughs> Wait, what are we doing? Oh, we're doing top 10. Yeah, yeah, just just run through your top 10s. Take uh, away, Hunter. Okay, Um. so my top 10. Um. Sorry, I gotta pull this back up. Uh, okay, so my number 10 is Malignant, because it was buck fucking wild, and um, <laughs> I just, that was one of the few, like, experiences of the year where I fucking felt something. Like, y'all want to talk about feeling something? That's the type of shit I feel where I was just like, in the theater just like what because at first i was like i was like this is like the trailer the trailer looked boring i was like it's just it just looks like a a, a serial killer movie whatever i'm like it's kind of violent but it's stylish but then i was like oh now wait a goddamn second okay i know where we are now and i just i mean everything from the jail scene onwards was just i mean next level uh number nine benedetta um just one of my favorite movies of the year because it's again buck wild and um and sacrilegious and weird and gross but also like oddly moving as well and a really great indictment of like organized religion as a whole but again cap catholicism which is always fun to see um eight matrix i've talked about it uh it's just a really great deconstruction of the entire like blockbuster genre uh everyone's talked about it some people fucking hate it some people love it for it i love it because i'm just so disillusioned by like all of this blockbuster bullshit uh of the year uh seven the last duel because um I, I can never surprise myself too much i guess um i went into this thinking i was gonna fucking hate it because everything gave me reason to believe i would fucking hate it um but it was really great and that was a movie this year that i felt like used its runtime really well where i was like this isn't dragging because it actually has a good pace um number six y'all can eat my ass on this uh last night in soho i loved it <laughs> um i really i just i don't know even the third act everyone's like it falls apart in the third act i was like really because that's when i got my life girl like it was <laughs> i i don't know when it got I, I just like it even if it doesn't always make 100 percent sense when a movie just commits to being bonkers i'm down for it and um i never really understand how people said the movie was sex negative when in reality it was like yeah because sex was negative for that person it was actually not even sex it was a lot of um sexual assault so yeah maybe it would be a little sex negative number five i've talked so much fucking about it barbara stargard of still mars the goddamn best comedy i've seen in years it made me like belly laugh every like from beginning to end i was cackling and i mean spoiler alert that Reba McIntyre cameo sent my ass to the moon and back. I thought I was going to stop breathing because I have, I've gone through a big country music phase the past couple of years and particularly recently a big Western movie phase. Um, that's why I'm replaying Red Dead Redemption right now. Uh, and just Reba speaks to me. Uh, speaking of Westerns, number four, Power of the Dog. We've already talked about it. It's just a good movie in general. I don't really know what to say about it. Number three, Spencer. 
I loved it. I love the style of it. I I love the weird is it real, is it not shit. Um, I know some people don't really love Kristen Stewart's performance in it. I really like it. It's got, I mean, it's a lot. It, she's not subtle with it. It's very campy. It's very like anytime that like anything happens, it's just like, just like just the most it's the most and i like it and i i mean it also doesn't help that i grew up in a household that fucking worshiped princess diana so my family loved it too number two and number one could almost be interchangeable for me but i finally settled on it i went with my gut number two worst person in the world that is the movie that made me almost cry this year i don't do that i tend to think emotions are for ugly people and um like (laughs) that was the one where like that's another movie like the last duel where i'm like this is expertly split up and like into really really effective chapters and paced wonderfully i think renate reigns but i don't know how to pronounce her name um like god bless her soul um she to me gave probably my favorite performance of last year is between her and jodie comer in the last duel in terms of like lead actress performances and probably performances in general like i don't know i feel like when i was watching that movie i was like this movie's speaking to me and only me and then i like i got out of it and found out everyone else our age is feeling the exact same way about it so i was like oh we're all just severely depressed i see great awesome (laughs) uh and then number one if we want to talk about being severely depressed um is the night house um i can't not put a small like not very looked upon horror movie as my number like not as my number one of each year um this movie I feel like for as much as it's my number one, I don't talk about it that much because it is really restrained and pulled back. But like, that's something, especially from David Bruckner, who's made some kind of out there stuff before um, for him to make something so like subtle and emotional. To me, this movie like hit me more emotionally than something like Hereditary did. Hereditary made me feel horrified more, but this was like a horror movie that genuinely I was like, um, just emotionally devastated by it all not least for the fact that rebecca hall's performance is fucking amazing i think it's really stylish i think it like has a very clear vision of what it wants to be and pulls it off really um effectively and it's just a shame that disney treated it the way that it did because um it is a disney movie surprisingly um and yeah that was a movie that got screwed over from covid because it premiered at sundance and my number one movie of last year relic and my number one movie of this year the night house premiered on the same day um and that's what covid did to movies so yeah that's my list wow (laughs) uh who's next go for it josh okay all right so i will throw out a few um just they have quick. to be from 2021. You can't put movies from the 1940s. <laughs> you can't on put an Ozu movie on your list, Josh. <laughs> I do that. If you want to see, if you want to see my uh, my old school uh, movies that I watched for the first time uh, that weren't 2020, 2021 releases, um, I, that's up on my Twitter page. A couple honorable mentions and a couple of uh, movies in quotation marks that I'm just putting outside my top ten, and then I'm going to do a top ten. Uh, worst person in the world, uh, honorable mention. Hunter's already talked. Uh, eloquently about that. That movie's great. Uh, go watch I've it. It certainly hits. I've never done a single hits. thing eloquently in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Old, we already talked about at length as well. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Just sort of outside the top ten. Uh, Roy Anderson's About Endlessness was the film that sort of made his style click for me. Uh, it's short. It's like 76 minutes. If you like really weird, depressing shit, uh, it's it's on uh, Hulu now. Uh, go oh, watch it. Oh, fuck me um, up. 
And then two films, uh, we've talked about the Bo Burnham special inside quite a bit. Um, certainly as sort of, as a sort of multimedia experience, I've in- watched that engaged with that a lot this year. Uh, it certainly, um, sort of defines my year in cinema, TV, media, whatever you want to call it. Uh, similarly, uh, almost like this sort of case of Twin Peaks, The Return. I don't really know what to do with Barry Jenkins, The Underground Railroad, but I feel like it's not uh, sort of discussed enough. It's certainly probably episodic television, but it's a sort of 10-part miniseries. Uh, it has some of the most sort of um, expressively cinematic moments of the year. It's a very hard watch, but it's certainly worth it. All right, let's 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 hit the top 10. Uh, number 10, Annette. Um, you know, Leos Kerox's first film in close to a decade since, uh, Holy Motors. Um, it is a sort of very bold, weird film, um, with a sort of incredible Adam Driver performance at its center. Um, I loved it. It's sort of, um, non-realist uh expressionistic world um i loved some of the strange little gambits in it not everything works but it's a film that i'm already eager to sort of return to um and i think it's uh it's a big swing that connects in a lot of ways um number nine is uh, a film that i originally watched at the uh, new york film festival's digital version in 2020 um, but it was released officially in 2021 um, and it, uh, it's stayed in my brain, even as I haven't sort of revisited it. And that's, uh, Sai Ming Liang's days. Uh, Sai is one of my favorite sort of working filmmakers. Um, Goodbye Dragon Inn is great. And I think it's getting a sort of Metrograph, uh, re-release run at the moment. You can watch it online. It's certainly worth it. Um, and days is sort of a, a great, uh, sort of pairing of Sai and his, um, regular sort of muse and lead actor, Lee Kong Sheng. Um, and it's a very simple film. It's a very slow film. Um, but it's a very intimate one as well. Um, and it's worth it. Uh, if you're familiar with his work or sort of looking, uh, into slow cinema, that's what I do my academic. And I put that heavily in quotation marks cause I don't think I'm very good at it, but my academic stuff on is, is that, so that film, uh, connected with me, uh, number eight, the card counter, uh, Paul Schrader makes another depressing movie about a guy that craves punishment um yeah it's boy. A sort of very american uh movie um even compared to like first reformed which was more about sort of an existential crisis this is about a guy who like knows he's done awful things and wants to sort of suffer um it's great uh it's as depressing as it sounds uh but it has some uh some of the most evocative imagery you'll see this year and some of the most unusual cinematography um Schrader keeps churning out weird Facebook uh, statuses. Well, we're not going to talk about that, but I, <laughs> I am. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, number seven is the the surprise of the year for me, I guess. Um, it was just one that I was I was doing some catch up over the last few weeks uh, prior to voting. And I caught this small French film. Uh, called All Hands on Deck or uh, A La Bordage. My French is not very good. Um, it was on Kaye's list at the end of the year, and I was like, oh, I'll check this out. It's from a director named Guillaume Brock. Um, it's a sort of hangout film comedy in uh, the the sort of French seaside uh, or the, the Riviera uh, in the summer. Uh, very sweet, warm film. It's on movie now. Uh, it's certainly worth watching. Um Number six is uh, Memoria. Um, we want to talk about talk about slow cinema. We're going back to to that well with uh, Apichapong, uh, where Sotokun's latest film. 
Um, it baffled even me a little bit. I thought I knew what I was going to be getting into and uh, it went off in, in sort of incredible directions, but it's a sort of great continuation of what a peach pong does best, whether it's the sort of um, slow uneasiness and unnerving sensations that uh, arise throughout that movie, or um, uh, the, there's a sort of way in which all of a peach pong's movies feature these sort of musical transitions as it moves from the sort of realist every day to the sort of supernatural or in this case extraterrestrial I, I couldn't explain the second half of the movie if you tried but i knew i know that i was hypnotized uh and it's incredible uh number five red rocket um i laughed at this movie uh, perhaps out of more out of just a sense of awkwardness more than anything else this year um jesse and i kind of already touched on red rocket when we were talking about the licorice pizza controversies um and uh it's a sort of very grim film that sean baker draws a lot of levity levity out of um and it's probably has some of my favorite uh cinematography of the year um just this really sort of beautiful grainy 16 millimeter footage in this sort of down uh downtrodden texas uh, downtrodden texas town uh, that finds a lot of beauty even within uh, what's really a sort of nasty story. Here's where it gets difficult. I the top four is basically interchangeable. I got I got nothing in terms of uh, like what to, I will watch all these movies again and the order will shuffle. Uh, number four, Drive My Car, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi's uh, probably more touted 2021 film. Uh, it's three hours long and it doesn't feel it. Um, I'll co-sign it, that. As much as I just bitched about long movies, I'll co-sign that. Yeah, I, Hamaguchi is really working in a, in a sort of incredible register in this film. Uh, we talked a little bit about the sort of early, the 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 late credits drop in this film and the way in which it sort of moves. Um, just a powerful emotional experience. I've since read the Haruki Murakami story that it's based on. It's actually based on a couple stories within one collection. It takes elements from and combines them. Um, there's so much fascinating stuff going on in this movie, and so many critics have written about it so astutely that I, I just might as well move on. I, I think it's a great film, and it's one that I'm going to be re revisiting a lot. Number three, The French Dispatch. Um, I know this was too much Wes Anderson or Wes Anderson overload for some people. Um, I didn't, I didn't no, feel that way. Gonna be, that's going to be the Raw Doll adaption he's doing next. Uh, that's going to be too yeah. fucking much. To, to clarify, I, that's not me booing Wes Anderson. That's booing people booing, that are booing like... It's critics? Yes. I thought the French Dispatch was um, both a just sort of aesthetically um, immaculate experience. I don't know. It was one of the few films this fall when I was really busy that I drove out to the theater to see. Um, and it just really blew me away. But I also found... Um, much like Grand Budapest Hotel, much like some of his other works, so much uh, melancholy um, and sort of a depth of feeling within um, the sort of elaborate, very sort of meticulous compositions that he's known for. The Jeffrey Wright segment is uh, marvelous, in my opinion, and the film has one of the best scores of the year from Alexandre uh, Despot. Uh, number two, Licorice Pizza. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on this too much more. Jesse and I talked about this uh, at length on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, it's great. It's funny. Um, also the, like there was for such a long time, such a dearth of good criticism about that film. Uh, and then the other day on Letterboxd, I believe it's um, now the top review, but it was 
like, uh, yeah, Lauren Wilford dropped just one of the best pieces of criticism I've read about that film. And like, was that it, the one of like the girl who like makes? I can't remember what the title of it was. I think yeah. I remember seeing this where like the girl who continuously makes like bad decisions or something. Yeah, like, it was something yeah. along those lines, and it was just a, a really yeah. I read that it was incredible. Fabulous psychological reading of the film uh in lieu of me saying anything more about licorice pizza go read that um but i think pca continues to deliver really incredible work uh and then number one i am this was if there was a trend for me in 2021 it was the sudden sort of explosion of ryosuke hamaguchi as the sort of one of the premier filmmakers on uh the festival and sort of uh, art house circuit um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which is a collection of three uh, short films or short stories, um, the sort of direct translation, I believe, based on an interview with the film stage that he did of the film uh, from its original Japanese title is something closer to uh, coincidence and imagination, which sort of describes uh, how those short stories flow. Um, Drive My Car is, maybe, you know, might be the better film. I've only seen each of them once and I'm eager to revisit already. Um, but I saw Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy first having a little bit of experience with his prior work and it really sort of um, uh, blew me away the way in which uh, his stories are told, the sort of patience of the filmmaking combined with these sort of emotionally overwhelming or revelatory moments. Um, the Each story, it's, I mean, I, other people have said this, uh, but each sort of individual short story works um, and I don't have much more to say than that. It's a, a deeply underseen film at this point. I think it's mostly out in virtual cinemas. Um, but that was the sort of film of the year for me at this moment and the sort of director uh, of the year for certain. I wrote actually wrote a longer piece on that, which I don't do as, uh, of as much lately, that probably uh, much more uh, clearly states my, my case for that film. But that was my favorite of the year. Those are my favorites of the year. And I will now recede into the background and stop talking. No, that was great. I I still need to see Fortune Fantasy. It's great. It's uh it's really powerful and uh I am I've heard he's in production on another film that might be ready for cans and I'm I'm extremely excited. So Ready for what? Um Hamaguchi might be ready for the Cannes Film Festival. Okay, in... can. Okay. I uh, sorry. Just fucking with you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. He already said he doesn't know French. The grammar police Listen. out. <laughs> Pronunciation police. Listen, the Duolingo bird is gonna shoot me if I don't correct. What is it? Is it con? Is it can? It's can. What's... It's can. It's... Uh, yeah, I okay. think he's... yeah, I was just fucking with you because she's like, oh, God. Said, okay. can you believe it's can? And that's how you remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, All right. right. Jordan, All right. Go, I, give I, us your I, top yeah. ten. You got that's it. like that's like Sixty percent of the movies he saw this year. Good. He probably has a higher average than all of the, the us other three. Yeah. So, oh, kudos to you, Jesse. By the way, our our lists are also divergent, and it's always good to like pick up new things from other people's lists. There's a lot. So I hang around seen. you guys. Yeah. Right back at you. Um, number ten. Even though I said they were divergent, starting with an overlap right here. Um, my number ten is the French Dispatch. For all the reasons that Josh said, um, I I love the the sort of uh, it's told in chapters almost. So there's like three distinct main. That's stories. been a great trend this year. The movies yeah. that have done that this year have done it all wonderfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really really fortune and fantasy same same thing. So the anthology film yeah. making a sort of comeback. Yeah. So 
But even, like, things that, like, are contiguous movies, like Worst Person in the World and The Last Duel, mm. that, like, utilize it really well. That's been a good, that's a trend this year that I've really enjoyed. Definitely. Um, and then number nine, Eat My Ass, is Don't Look Up. <laughs> so that one is... I was about to be like, yes, let's do it, but then you <laughs> never <won. laughs> Um Basically, that's one that, I mean, everyone has heard the discourse about it if they've been on Twitter, but it's one that I found just cathartic. It, it worked for me. And I think, uh, Jesse, we had talked about this probably in a text thread that's saying, like, depending on whether you feel like it's yelling at you or yelling with you is also part of the determines which side you fall on, potentially. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't looking for like a comedy, and I don't think that's what I got. Um, so that's also part of the reason why it worked for me more than others. But yeah, I just felt like it was a it was a great emotional release for me. We really and did then, have everything, didn't we? And you're exactly. legally allowed to have that opinion. <laughs> it made me laugh more than I thought it would. I have to be honest. So I'm 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 sympathetic to uh, the the don't look up defenders, even though I have <laughs> Listen, my, my documented issues with it. Hey, I'm still gonna watch the Adam McKay basketball show. I'll you know. And you should listen to the basketball podcast that he's done, Death at the Wang, if you haven't heard that before. It's actually really, really great about... Is like, this the one that he, like, ruined his relationship with, um... Will yeah, that's, that's yes. the show, upcoming that's show. That's the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can't really complain, because, like, I just said that a movie with literally nothing but jokes about culottes and, uh, like, Reba McIntyre as a sea nymph in a cameo it's the funniest movie i've seen wait thinking about it adam mckay produced that movie so maybe we're all on the fucking same page here we're not against each other we love old we love adam mckay yeah uh, no (laughs) did i lose you there yeah indirect indirectly let's not say it like but yeah if you if you hate don't look up i don't think you would hate death at the wing the podcast it's about like the premature deaths of a lot of uh basketball players in the 80s and the crack cocaine explosion really really fascinating stuff that sounds really cool actually um my number eight um keeping in line with (laughs) drug explosions is the the crime of the century which was alex gibney's uh two-part docuseries on hbo um that was just about the opioid crisis and and the uh, big pharma the sackler families and basically people getting away with being responsible for the outbreak of opioids and then um, another recent watch for me but definitely devastating was mass um, which is basically just two sets of parents walk into a room and hashing it out over a tragedy and it's each actor has like a moment to really really shine and it's just amazing performances. North Carolina Film Critics Association Best Supporting Actress winner and Dowd and Best Ensemble and Best Did it win anything off of the Mox? I think just those two. Yeah. And but and I will say that overperformed um, from what I expected. And it's interesting that Anne Dowd is, is the performance that won there because I thought she was the not that any of the performances were weak, but I thought that she was actually the weakest performance of the bunch. Um, but still loved that movie. It wasn't a weak performance, though. I don't want to. I won't misconstrue that at all. But I just prefer. You finally got and me back on. on your side, and now you just ruined it again. So but like, way Martha to push. Plimpton is amazing. Jason. See, I- Jason Isaacs, Isaacs is who stole it for me and, personally. And Reed Bernie has like, well, the character that he's playing is hard to just empathize with in, in general. But so the fact that he is able to make those turns at certain moments is what really 
made that performance shine for me. But um, okay, number six is Dune, which I said I don't love it, but I really, really liked it, and I thought it was just technically amazing. I love the way that it presented uh, sci-fi concepts um, in really unique ways, like uh, the voice, which I thought was the most interesting thing that I took away. It's like a m- more creepy, fascinating version of the Force from from Star Wars. I think I need to read that book because I need to understand like all of the weird ways in which they actually overcame it and made it into like a movie. Because I feel like I don't appreciate that. I feel like Maybe if I read it, I would maybe appreciate that a bit more. I read a chapter and I found it quite dull. So <laughs> I do wonder if if that is something that would help you appreciate the the screen adaptation more. But it's also unfair of me to judge a book based on one chapter. So <laughs> Jordan, do you use the voice to yell at your cat when it cat's misbehaving? Yeah, yeah. When the cat wants food and needs to to leave my room, I, I use the voice to make her leave. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, number five is Nine Days. Has have any of you seen Nine Days? No, but I've heard no, it's fabulous. I've heard great things, yeah. Um, so I, this is another one. Way to go, I'm Sony a, Pictures Classics. I'm ugly and have emotions all the time. Uh, <laughs> it just it just really. I knew one of those things. <laughs> uh, there's occasionally movies that just like make me reevaluate life and what I value in life, um, the meaning of life, and just all those heavy things and that's one that i i saw a few days ago that's really stuck with me since then i imagine it it will and that's another performance i wanted to highlight is uh winston duke actually he's the lead in that movie and it's just very quiet but that gives him moments to really explode um and he's just fantastic then my number four is shiva baby which is just an anxiety attack of a movie, which um, if there is a, a theme in my list, it is just feeling something and uh, <laughs> whether it's emotions, uh, sadness, or just sweaty palms and anxiety, that's what that one gave for me. Um, my number three is The Power of the Dog, which we've talked about before. It was just, I had low expectations because I didn't really know anything about it. And I just loved how, um, that's another one that used that sort of chapter format and I loved how it yeah. just slowly unfolded and I was like what what movie am I watching right now and how that's revealed I thought is really clever and the way that Jane Campion just uh, lays clues so the ultimate conclusion is obvious when you get down to it but uh, the revelation is is really what makes that movie shine. My grandma got a new car this year and before I saw Power of the Dog I got that keychain in the mail and I gave it to her and it's on her keychain now and now I'm just like oh fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Number two on my list is um, Billie Eilish The World's a Little Blurry the documentary that I've heard that covered. Yeah it was actually I mean I'm not like I don't really follow celebrities at all and so like I'm not I wouldn't consider myself a Billie Eilish fan. I really love that album that uh, this documentary covers the the making of and sort of charts her path as she uh, started out and just blew up into a huge megastar. And there's just so much to like about it. It's very raw and, and honest. And it, her parents are, are raw and honest and say things like, but they're also grounded in a way that really makes me uh, appreciate them and 
her and her brother are so talented and it's fascinating to watch from that perspective. So, and, and then also the way that the uh, film utilizes the songs from that album uh, sort of punctuates key moments in the film through her life. And that was just handled really beautifully as well. So it all just came together and kind of a, a perfect documentary package. So I, that's one that I would uh, recommend for anyone, regardless of whether you're a fan of Billie Eilish or you know her music or not. That's on Apple TV, right? Um, I believe so. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then my number one pick is Bo Burnham's Inside. Sort of unconventional, but it was, like I said earlier, the the thing that spoke to me the most, that resonated with me the most, and I think that just uh, made me think about life the most. So that's the end of my list. All right. Well, I guess I'll wrap us up with with my list. Um, my number ten. Don't is... be boring. Don't be boring. <laughs> my number ten is Titan because uh, you know sometimes what I want out of a movie going experience is for a filmmaker to grab me by the throat and just throw me across the room and give me a really unpleasant experience, and that's uh, what I got here. Um, just like raw punk visceral energy um and you know I, that's that that's i crave that sometimes as scary as that sounds um number I nine that was the i assume that was the movie in the opening where you said one that makes you vomit i was like that was the first one i that was came thinking to mind. that yeah. so, like, so it's quick, gotta be titan <laughs> quick anecdote on like when i saw titan is there was a a teenage couple that came in uh, I oh, believe no. at the moment when she is giving birth to the the motor child and her flesh is ripping and the oil is, you know, kind of dribbling down her nipples and um, a, like, teenage couple came in with a bag of weed, clearly just thinking, like, eh, there's this, like, random French movie playing. We'll roll a blunt that in the back me, and smoke. That was me, you asshole. <laughs> and they came in and immediately, like, their faces like went white and then they just stood there and then they w- ran out as quickly as they could. So big um, year for <laughs> unconventional French babies. Um. <laughs> yes. Uh, my number nine is Dune just because, you know, that being kind of a movie that provided a certain kind of spectacle that I was really missing at the block at the, you know, my neighborhood movie theater. And Hey, I like worms. Worms are cool. Um, my number worms, eight is worms. <laughs> my number eight worms. is the Green Knight, which again a, a movie that I think I love because it's open to so much interpretation and um has two uh excellent money shots this year. I'll just leave it at there. Um, <laughs> my number seven is drive my car which i have to uh thank josh partly for stumping for this movie because i saw it once and was like pretty good but it was a little slow for me and then after hearing josh talk about it and then reading a whole bunch of critics write about it from uh adam Naiman, manola dargis uh justin chang at the la times i went back and watched it this weekend and was just like completely moved by it and think it's just this like really powerful story about grief and about connection and uses that three hour running time so well to kind of like slowly give you these moments between characters and have it not feel have it not feel like big 
sort of melodramatic movie moments. It just sort of feels like how you bond with people in real life and kind of like how you learn things about yourself in real life and just these sort of quiet moments that just sort of add up over a long period of time. Um, Number six, a movie uh, neither of you guys have seen, but like Dune gave me a kind of big widescreen spectacle that I was missing from being at home, which is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. I'll just leave it there. I thought you were going to say um, Spider-Man for a second. I forgot West Side Story there. I was like, Spider-Man? But okay, no, uh, yeah. no. I'm the wrong person to make a comment about West Side Story. I'm sorry. Uh, number five is Memoria, which I feel like I need to have a powwow with Josh about afterwards because I had watched under very unusual circumstances. I couldn't sleep one night, and I fired up the screener. <laughs> well, <laughs> I fired up the screener and then so like watched it in like this half sleep, half awake days. So, so you had the ideal memorial yes, of, yeah, of like, I'm not quite sure if my experience, my sort of immersive sort of dreamlike experience of memoria is really memoria or some sort of half like actual dream of what I think Memoria no, is about. No, that's just the movie. <laughs> no, I think honest, I mean, Apeshit Pong has been one of the filmmakers who has, has like, if you if there's interviews where they'll talk to him about stuff and he'll be like, yeah, I encourage people to like take a nap during movies, like just fall asleep, let it take you. Simon Leong's another filmmaker where it's both this sort of relationship between the slowness of the film and then like the sleepiness. So like, it sounds like you had like the pristine <laughs> memoria experience. It's the world. Well, now I feel less self-conscious. ASMR video. Like, fully. <laughs> It kind of is. I, no, I sort yeah, of, absolutely. Yeah, I, I like cranked my uh, volume on my TV about as loud as it could go, and was just like, and and to to make it extra weird, like I'm someone who like sleeps with like white noise, like beach sounds mm. and like jungle sounds and stuff. I literally so. <laughs> listen to music in my headphones. I have to find my AirPods in my bed every morning. I listen to the me. Dune throat singing scene. <laughs> <laughs> so. ASMR doing throat singing. <laughs> Straight up fall asleep uh, to tangerine dream. So you're not talking you're not you're preaching to the choir here. Uh my number four movie of the year is Red Rocket. Uh just an absolute hoot, a like savage, raunchy, grotesque, but nonetheless like brilliant, I think, satire of uh Trump America. So Good on you, Sean Baker. You made the quintessential so Trump satire. I saw someone, I mean, it, if this doesn't absolutely make up fucking all of the internet, I saw it was like an A24 promoted tweet and someone commented underneath it. Like, I'm not seeing that woke shit. I'm like, this of all <laughs> movies to say that with. I'm like, this is... Little do they know. Yeah, no it's not, it, it doesn't have a nasty political ideology to it, but it is the furthest thing from that shit, man. It's a movie about a grifter, and like yeah. that's the entirely it's the entire political ideology yeah. on the like Trump right at this point. I will say one other fascinating. We're talking about trends this year. Um, one of the films that I'm thinking of hasn't come out yet, but there's been an interesting uh, emergence of films about porn, or at least that in some way use that as part of its sort of political. I'm also thinking of the Romanian Oscar entry. Yeah, uh, that's that right. The, the Golden Bear, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, which actually features like an opening scene that's straight up like hardcore pornography, uh, you know, beyond Simon Rex running nude with the American flag flapping in the background. Oh, if uh, you want to see Simon Rex in porn, I'll send you a link. <laughs> I was talking specifically within Red Rocket. But, oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, 
incredible moment at Film Fest 919. I saw that movie in an IMAX theater. (laughs) Somehow, some way. I just like it was a they did a screening on campus and they put it in the IMAX theater. And so I got to see Simon Rex running. But there's been an interesting way in which the sort of uh, like, I don't know, like a sort of vulgar art for a vulgar age of politics or whatever ends up being the sort of and also there's the film that dropped at Sundance Pleasure that's yeah. coming out that's also oh, right. so there's an interesting sort of uh there's an essay to be written there on all of this, i mean but... even something like zola is fully yeah. about like yeah. hooking and stripping and like it's you know Sex but it's not ways, yeah, yeah but it's not like i mean zola is is, is kind of different because it's supposed to be kind of big and wild and out there it's literally based mm-hmm. on it's, a, it's about know. trafficking really yeah, yeah but you know i mean yeah you're right there's a lot about that this year but it's not yeah. i i'm finding more people i mean even something like benedetta i find mm-hmm. like really relishes in its vulgarity but also like it's paul verhoeven of fucking course it does yeah yeah sorry really... we hijacked your we hijacked no. your list no, no, no. All, all, all the better uh my number three is worst person in the world uh which lived up to all the hype that hunter had about it from film fest 919 and uh you know as someone in their late 20s re- really related hashtag the millennial life Hey, just wait. Uh, Soon you'll be crying at everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, number two is Power of the Dog. Y'all are so old. My girl, Jane Campion. Uh, just what what an experience to have her come back. I mean, I know she's been in TV, but to come back to movies after over 10 years with, I think, one of her best and a movie that I just feel like at every moment, you are just in total... Uh, she is in total control over every tiny specific detail and every specific moment in that movie, mm. and um, I I just I live for that. It 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 is the the singular movie for me that just like comes to mind in thinking about auteurism and someone just having control over every tiny specific moment of that. And there's not an inch of that movie that doesn't feel um true to to her and her art. Um, my number one movie um. God, <laughs> someone's knocking at my door. God. What the fuck? Sorry. Paul? He's... What's he about to do? I'm so afraid. It, it's <laughs> it's a pizza guy. Oh, <laughs> I've turned a fucking thought. What's what's on the pizza, Jesse? <laughs> told me my number one movie of the year would be Licorice Pizza. I explained to someone at work the other day what licorice pizza meant, and I thought they were going to have a stroke of, like, they were like, oh, that's why it's called that. Yeah. Is there is there licorice on that pizza, Jesse? Did yeah, you, did you they, fully commit? I fully committed. It kind of tastes like Bradley Cooper's wig, but, <laughs> yeah, good movie. Made me laugh. Paul Thomas Anderson makes good stuff. He's a, he's um, a good filmmaker. Breaking yeah. news. I really want to see it. This so this was fun, guys. Um, have fun doing the podcast with you. Now. Yeah. Thanks um, for having this us. This is on. like memo- <laughs> this is like Memoria all over again. I just hear it's like Brad Pitt in every hair. every movie he's ever been in. ASMR licorice pizza mouth sounds. <laughs> I think it wound up being a pretty pretty, pretty solid year. <laughs> I think so. My top ten can you know? I I I feel like it was pretty good. I mean, as packed. normal as as normally. Um, if we're talking only about the movies I liked, yeah, it was a great year, but that's kind of exactly. how it is every year. Yeah. And then I look at the bottom of my list and I go, oh no. I don't yeah. even fuck, I don't even fuck with past my top 25. I'm just like, I'm not even listing it. 
I don't need Dear Evan Hansen on here. Or um, I watched. Let's see. I had a hundred, a hundred and eight films this year, and I had a total of twenty one or twenty three that were four stars or higher. So you know, I mean, I had some other ones that I liked, but I think I was like like a fifty fifty positive negative split, which is fine. Yeah, that's well, kind of how I felt this year too. Thank, thanks to you guys and and all the guests that have been on the latest over the last year really helped make this podcast special. And thank you to the listeners. So be sure to like and rate and subscribe and do all that you do on your social listening audible platforms i don't know it's it's late i'm i'm just kind of like focused on enjoying it is 9 44 right. p.m i don't know i've been up early y'all are jerry <laughs> Atrick. Um, yeah, it's, it's getting my, close to yeah. bedtime I'll, I'll i'll just let the music carry carry out as 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 i finish this pizza but look look forward to hopefully another fun year of, of podcasts with all you guys 